Whoa. What was that? We don't know. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Secret Place Pod with your favorite host, Aaliyah Renee. I'm super excited for this Secret Place Pod episode. Happy Friday. Happy afternoon. I pray that you're blessed wherever you're listening to this or watching this. Um, if you're at the gym, doing your groceries, or you're just chilling with me, sitting down, getting cozy, um, watching on YouTube. Hello. Um, I'm super excited to share with you the word that the Lord has been preparing in my heart so deeply. Um, I have a burden to share this. And honestly, I would love to post this sooner than Friday. So I might be saying the words Friday, but you may be seeing this on like a Wednesday. You never know. Um, Because I think it's a very timely word. And I just want to put it out when the Lord asks me to put it out. So we'll see. We will see. But I hope your weeks have been going well. Um, I hope that you've been blessed. And I wanted to share this word that is not only, I think, timely for everyone, but also timely for me because your girl is definitely going through a little bit of a trial. Um, And the Lord really blessed me with some things that he had already been telling me like weeks ago some revelations that he had given me and they came in such like they came in clutch okay they came in clutch this week um just reminding me of the goodness of god and that i'm not alone in the trial and that's why i want to share this with you all because every day is a potential to go through a trial every day there is a potential for you to face something and feel abandoned or feel lost or feel alone but i want to share with you some scriptures in the bible and reveal to you that you're never alone in the trial and i also want to share with you some things that you could do during a trial to remain close to the lord and also to keep your mind and your spirit up when a trial occurs that is when we're at our weakest spiritually sometimes mentally or physically and those are the times where we're most vulnerable to the attacks or the whispers of satan and because of this we have to be so intentional to stay close to the lord during our trials um so we're going to talk about how to do that sometimes it's hard when we go through a trial we can feel resentment we can feel anger we could be asking the question of why god but there are so many stories and so many histories in the bible that show us that even when individuals went through trials they still stayed close to god and they held their integrity they didn't let the weaknesses that came from a trial be areas of penetration for like the devil to come in and break their relationship but before we get started because you know me i love to just like jump right into it but let's say a prayer so bow your heads close your eyes with me um i just want to invite the lord here so Dear Jesus, Holy Spirit, I want to say welcome, God. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for communing with us here in the secret place. You say in Matthew 6, 6 that when we come to secret places, oh Lord God, you meet us in our secret place. So I pray that me and the person listening will just be engulfed with your presence. I ask that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit just give them a big hug, no matter where they are, um, in public, in the car, at home with their Bible, in the bed just cozied up oh lord jesus i ask that you would just comfort us oh lord jesus if they're going through a trial i pray in the mighty name of jesus that you would show them the way out of the trial you would show them that there is light at the end of the tunnel lord god that through this trial it produces perseverance it produces a closeness to you oh lord jesus i ask oh lord god that you would comfort them if they feel angry comfort them if they feel confused or lost or ashamed or any other emotion that is not of you oh lord god let them know that it is not a sin to feel angry 
at God or with God during a trial. It's understandable. But the key is to stay close to the Lord, to hold strong to that integrity, and in that anger, not to run away from you, O Lord Jesus, but to come closer to you and surrender that anger to you. Surrender that frustration to you so that you will be able to not only remove those burdens that they are experiencing during the trial, but just give them peace for the trial in Jesus' name. I ask that you would give them clarity and comfort over Jesus when you left the earth, when you were resurrected on that third day, you said that you would leave for us the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate and our comforter. So, Lord God, we employ on the power of the Holy Spirit when we go through trials, that comforter and advocate, O Lord Jesus. And we also petition you, O Lord God, we petition you, Jesus, to pray and fight on our behalf. It says that, O Lord Jesus, you sit on the right hand of the Father, interceding for our behalf. So, through the trials that we face, let us remember that you are for us and not against us, O Lord God, that you are interceding for us on our behalf to the Father in heaven so that when we are going through trials it is only but for a short time i thank you lord jesus that trials will make us better will build perseverance and will bring us stronger and closer in our relationship with you i pray that this podcast will bless whoever is listening that they would receive a revelation from your word that only you can give them oh lord god please clear my mind oh lord god i surrender my body as a temple and a sacrifice that i would be able to teach the word of god efficiently clearly and give the message to your people that you would want for them to hear at this time in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Ooh. That prayer was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was like a lengthy prayer. I've been doing these in the morning now, and I'm geeked out. I'm really geeked out. Also, please pray for me because this trial has my left eye twitching. Like, I'm literally, my eye has not stopped twitching. I, like, received some news um, the other day. And ever since then, my left eye has just not stopped twitching. So, please pray for me. Um... But we're going to get started. I first want to share with you the story of Hagar and Ishmael. And this account is taken in Genesis 21, verses 8 to 21. So if you want to bookmark that and find that, you can. I'm going to give you a little bit of context of where we're finding Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar is not someone glamorous. Ishmael is also not really anyone glamorous when it comes to their stories in the Bible. Now... You may be familiar with Abraham and Sarah, and you may know that for a long time, Sarah was not able to give birth to a child. And that was kind of complex because the Lord had been promising Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation, but his wife was barren. She couldn't give birth to children. So how could Abraham give birth to and be the start or like the great, great grandfather or like the starting person of great lineages and kingdoms and heritages when his wife can't have no baby? And they knew that it was a problem, even though the Lord had said to Abraham that you would have a child. And Sarah heard this too. And Sarah heard that the Lord told her, hey, you will have a child. You will bear a child. And that will be the start. You will be the father and mother of many nations. But Sarah, in her unbelief, didn't see that happening. Sarah was older. She was in her old age. And because of this, she started scheming like some of us do. Sometimes we get a promise from the Lord and the promise just doesn't seem to be going fast enough for us or we just don't see how it's feasible. Sometimes as humans, we try to take a promise that comes from a God that's supernatural, omnipresent, omniscient, knows everything, and then tries to put it in like a finite way. And 
that is where the trouble comes when we receive a promise from the Lord. And then we're like, okay, I know like, you know, so much more than me, God, but I'm going to try to put your plan in my head and see how it works out. And it just like, is not, it's not working out in my head. So I'm going to take it into my own hands. And that's what Sarah did. So essentially she said, listen, I have this female servant. Her name is Hagar. And because I'm barren and I don't believe the promise that God gave me, Abraham, you're going to sleep with Hagar. Mind you, Hagar has no say in this because she's just a slave, right? So Sarah says, you're going to sleep with this girl. And Hagar's like, well, I guess I have no choice. So Hagar and Abraham sleep together and they begat or they have Ishmael, which is Abraham's firstborn son. Not Isaac, but Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, all because Sarah does not believe in the covenant. And to a certain extent, neither does Abraham because he doesn't really stand his ground. Instead, he follows the plan of his wife because there was something in him that said, okay, maybe what if God doesn't come through on our trial? What if God doesn't come through on this? So let me try to do it my own way. And I think that's probably the first thing that you'll notice. And what you'll see by the end of this recounting of history, because this actually happened and these were real people that reflect us so, so well, even being thousands and thousands of years before us, when we enter a trial or when we're given a promise from God and we don't see how we're going to get out the trial or how God's promises are going to be fulfilled, the worst thing that we could do is to try to take it in our own strength and try to take it in our own knowledge to deliver ourselves from trials. God has a bird's eye view of everything and we have this finite tunnel vision view of the world around us. And the moment we remove our trust from the Father who knows everything, the beginning, the middle, the end, of the trial that you go through, the outcome, the blessing that may come from it, and we try to do our own way and we deviate from the path that he has set, that is immediately when issues start. And we can see that because Abraham and Sarah did not believe God in their trial, they created more trials for other people. And we see this here. We're going to talk about Hagar, who, after giving birth to Ishmael, then Ishmael's growing up, okay, he's probably around 13 or so, and then Sarah has the child. Sarah has Isaac. So Isaac is a baby, and then we got Hagar, and we got Sarah, and we got Ishmael, which is Abraham's firstborn. It's getting crowded in the house, and let's read and see sort of what exactly um, is being said. So here we're going to Genesis chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 8. So this is after Ishmael's born. He's been here for a long time. Okay, he's probably like 11, 12, 13. And then Isaac, the promised child, comes from Sarah. So Sarah finally gives birth. And of course, Sarah's going to love Isaac more than um, she loves Ishmael because Ishmael's not her kid. Ishmael is just the child of a slave named Hagar that she commanded Abraham to sleep with. So when Isaac comes, the promised child, Ishmael is out of place and so is Hagar. In verse 8, it says, the child grew and was weaned. And this is speaking about Isaac. So the promised child that comes from Sarah. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. This is like the golden child. Ishmael is no longer important. We're like, why are you here? We got the kid that we wanted, that God promised for us. But because of their disobedience in the trial, although they came out the trial seemingly victorious because God delivers the child to them, gives them a child as he promised, because God never breaks his promises, because they were disobedient in the trial, watch what happens. So Isaac grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. I don't hear about no great feast for Ishmael. So you can already see his life. He's almost like a neglected child, an afterthought. 
because he was just the backup plan just in case this one this child was never born but sarah saw that the son whom hagar the egyptian had born so ishmael was mocking and she said to abraham get rid of that slave woman and her son for that woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son isaac so all of a sudden you were begging Hagar to sleep with Abraham just a couple just a couple years ago because you wanted to fulfill this promise of having a son. And now as soon as Sarah has a son, she's like, get this girl out of here. I don't want anything to do with her. And Ishmael was mocking, which is understandable. He's like 12 or 13 years old. I was I was a bad kid at 12 or 13. I had a mouth on me. I was talking back. We were all talking back at 12 and 13. But that doesn't justify them exiling them from where they were living. So let's go to verse 11 this matter distressed abraham greatly because it concerned his son because at the end of the day ishmael was still the son that he begat with hagar but god said to him do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman listen to whatever sarah tells you because it is through isaac that your offspring will be reckoned because again god's original covenant was between abraham and sarah hagar was a backup plan that came from the flesh of not believing in god through the trial I will make the son of the slave into a nation because he is your offspring. Then in verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sent them, he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way, wandering the, de the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. So here in verse 15 and 16, we see Hagar and Ishmael in the midst of their trial. The trial being that they have been abandoned by the woman and the man that she served under her whole large portion of her life. She was an Egyptian girl sold to Abraham. And that is pretty much all she did. And then at no fault of her own, she's told to have a child with this man. And then at the whim of Sarah's beckoning call, she is then kicked out and exiled. And again, she does nothing to put herself into this trial. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations and we're like, God, I didn't even do anything. And this is the same thing with Hagar. She finds herself in a desert trying to feed and sustain her son Ishmael with no food, no water, no master. She is literally just thrown out with a water bottle and a sack of croutons and they're like okay good luck knowing good and well she could not survive in the desert so it says then she went off so she left ishmael in a bush and then she walks away so from ishmael's perspective it's like not only was his father abandoning him when he left the camp of abraham and sarah because of the sort of conflict that was going on but his mother leaves him under a bush to die because there's no more food and water and she says I can't watch my son die. So I'm going to leave him here and abandon him. And Ishmael is just sitting under a bush alone in the deepest of trials because his mother and his father have left him and forsaken him. But in verse 17, watch how beautiful this is and how God meets them in their trial. In verse 17, it says, God hearing the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy to drink. God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. When he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. 
I think in this passage, we tend to look a lot at Hagar, right? This woman who was scorned, no fault of her own, left in the desert, and she's crying. She's so sad. She doesn't want to watch her son die. But it's not Hagar's tears that save them together. It's not her tears and her cries that save Hagar and Ishmael, but it is a cry of the son who is in the deepest of trials, who has been abandoned by his father and now his mother, left to die under a bush in the desert. We don't know what he says, but during his trial, he cries out to God and an angel visits his mother on behalf of him and, and says that God has heard the boy crying as he lies there in his trial. God sees us in our trials. God never forsakes us. From the moment that Hagar was born to when she was sold into Egyptian slavery to when she was sold from the Egyptians to Abraham to when she was forced to have this child to when her and her child were exiled to now being at the desert with literally no food and water, the Lord was watching over her. And when she was in the thick of the trial, the Lord grants her deliverance. But he also watched that boy Ishmael, who was born, no fault of his own, into a family of strife, and was just being a boy, being a little sassy, got cut, cut off from his father, his mother leaves him, and he's in the thick of the trial as he sits under a bush, starving to death, but he says a cry to the Lord. A cry that doesn't have to be so elaborate and intricate. The words of the cry didn't even matter. Like, he could have literally said, Lord, help. We don't know what he says, which just goes to show just us simply crying to the Lord is enough. Sometimes when we are in a trial, like we have no words, but just inviting the Lord into the trial with a cry, literally just crying could be enough for him to hear us and deliver us and comfort us from the trial. You're never alone. The Lord is always with you. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all at once at the same time. So as you sit in a trial or a storm and you're trying to grapple things, don't try to grapple things alone, but cry out unto the Lord who's already present and watching over you. You're never alone in a trial. And I wrote this down in my devotion and I thought it was so profound um, that I want to share it. In Genesis 21, verse 8 to 21, we see after Isaac's birth, tensions are high between Ishmael, the firstborn who came out of covenant, Hagar, his mother, and Sarah, leaving Sarah to exile the two of them from their company. This leaves them both homeless and Ishmael fatherless and motherless. Hagar herself sees the situation and leaves him under a bush to starve to death. Now this boy, only around 13, is left an orphan, seemingly doomed to death as his mother hides and cries and steps away. But we see the Lord comes right when it looked like his story was over. He saves them not because he heard Hagar's cry, but because God heard the voice of the boy, that young boy who lost his father and his mother, and his prayer, and cry. It is so beautiful to see how God is a father to the fatherless and abandoned. He even hears the prayer of a 13-year-old. So what makes me think he will not hear and respond to me in the midst of my trial? And I think that's such a beautiful story that can begin to tell us and show us what we should do when we are faced with trials so that we understand and recognize that God is always with us, but also call upon that God who walks with us during the trial. And there's really three main things that I want to highlight to you when it comes to walking through a trial. So the first thing is to have prayer and constant communion with the Lord throughout your trial. And you know who shows us this? Jesus. Jesus who goes through the trial of literally being a sinless man who was sent down to earth by the Lord to save the world. He was fully God and fully man, but as a man, he never sinned. 
all of us are guilty of death and damnation because we are born into sin. We're always sinners. It is inherent of us. None of us will be able to live on this earth and not sin a day in our lives. Whereas Jesus was sinless and he was subjected to a death that we deserved. Being a trial that he didn't even deserve to walk through. Yet let's look at his posture and what he does. We're going to visit Jesus just hours before he's going to get arrested and just hours before he's going to get crucified unjustly for no reason. The deepest trial, the most unjust trial that any human can ever go through. This is in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 39. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane with his some of his disciples. Um, and we see in verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but your will be done. So what we see here is in the midst of one of the deepest trials that Jesus goes through, his response is to go and pray, not to sit in the trial and try to figure out, okay, what can I do and how can I make myself stronger? Or how can I scheme this trial out my own way? Or what can I do in my own strength? Instead, when he feels like things are impossible, he throws everything at the Lord and says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but you will. And what that shows us is not only that Jesus goes to God and prays and communes with him during a trial, but he also shows us that sometimes the trial is something that we have to walk through. The trial is something that we have to endure, but that trial will always end in victory. The end of this story of Jesus going through this trial of being crucified is that he raises again on the third day. He conquers sin and death and brings salvation and victory to all of mankind forever and ever and ever and ever. He becomes the reigning king. He was always God. Now he is God again. He restores that place and seat at the right hand of the father. So we see sometimes trials, the same with Ishmael and his trial. He had to walk through that desert and starve a little bit because a trial is something that we must enter and go through to come out of. You don't just like pop in and pop out of a trial. And that's like kind of the hard thing to swallow. Like sometimes the things that you go through have to be gone through. Some of the things that we want to like expedite the process of, the process of the trial is what builds us and builds us and brings us victory and also increases perseverance within us. The second thing and why it's important to pray and be in constant communion and worship with the Lord during the trial is that your trial might help someone else. And we see this with Paul and Silas who are in prison. So we're following Acts. So this is after Jesus is resurrected. Paul and Silas are followers of Jesus. They're disciples of Jesus that have gone on to preach the good news of Jesus after he has left earth. So in Acts 16, verse 25 to 30, there's some slave girl who has like the power of divination, okay, demonically. So she can like see the future. She can tell fortunes. She was going around snitching on Paul and Silas saying, these are the ones who are preaching about Jesus and trying to save people. And because of this, they get thrown into prison because they did not want to hear about Jesus back then. Low-key, they don't really want to hear about Jesus now. So she reports them and like exposes them to the town and what they're doing. And because of this, they get flogged, they get beaten and stoned, and then they get thrown into jail. 
So we're following them now in the prison cell and let's see their response to a trial again unjustly being thrown into jail for preaching the good news of the gospel what did they do let's start at verse 25 it says at about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god and the other prisoners were listening to them so immediately we see that their response to the trial is prayer so again communion with god and singing hymns worshiping the lord through their trial imagine you get thrown into jail for Jesus for no reason but you're still you're still going to pray to the Lord you're still worshiping the Lord as if nothing has ever happened as if you're not even going through the trial and reading things like this is like so humbling because when I go through trials I sometimes want nothing to do with prayer or worship I just want to like abandon God and run away from him because I'm like how could you do this to me but the thing is, in order to get clarity for a trial and to understand why this trial is happening and what you need to gain from it while you're walking through it, you have to go to Jesus. And that means praying to him and worshiping him and staying in communion with him, reading his word and trying to seek what he's trying to tell you during this trial. Because irregardless of if you talk to the Lord or don't talk to the Lord, you're still going to go through the trial. So the question is, how do you want to go through the trial? Do you want to go through it walking hand in hand and step in step with the father who's always with you anyway and just invite him into the situation? Or do you want to just walk and the Lord will be like, I wonder when he's going to invite me into the situation. I wonder when she's going to allow me to take over the trial and I wonder when she's going to cast all her cares on me for I care for her as it says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. So we see here, when they're thrown into prison, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer, who was overseeing them, woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself, we're all here!' The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And because of he saw that worship, because he saw how the Lord was delivering them and doing miracles and working for them through a trial, this jailer says to Paul and Silas, when Christianity and salvation is illegal, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We see that when we stay in communion with God, people begin to ask questions, especially when we're going through a trial and we have this closest to God, people begin to say, how are you so happy? How are you keeping your composure during this situation? Why do you have purpose and hope through all of this? Because everyone is looking for purpose and hope and answers to these questions. And when they see us as Christians, when we go through trials, it is the perfect opportunities to be examples and lights of how God is delivering us. And that's why we can smile through a trial. That's why we can continue to pray to the Lord and believe for victory out of the trial. But as we walk through it, we can still live our lives normally with our heads held high. Is it easy? Absolutely not. That's why we have to draw on strength from the Father who is with us in the trial. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas do. And because of this, a jailer who was literally, his job was to keep them in bondage because of their ministry, now wants to be part of that same ministry that he knows is illegal and could also throw him in jail and kill him as well because of the testimony of Paul and Silas's trial. One of the other things that I think is so important is to hold your integrity to God throughout a trial. 
it's really, really, really easy for us to, again, like I said earlier, be weak physically, mentally, and spiritually when we're going through a trial in such a way that we want to curse God or turn away from the Lord because we're like, my God would never let this happen to me. Da, 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 da. And because of that, we run away from God. When ha- Some of the times, the trials that are encountering are just living life, like the trials of life, or sent by the enemy, and we're unable to recognize that because we're immediately like, God, why would you let this happen to me? And we don't understand that there's such a greater purpose when going through trials that can build our perseverance in the Lord, that can strengthen our relationship with him. And we also forget that even through the trials, God is walking with us. So one thing about Satan Satan is, he will try to make you lose your integrity when you're going through a trial. And we see this in the story of Job, a very righteous man who is plagued by Satan, all because Satan wants to show God like, oh, if you put trials on your people, they're going to curse you. And sometimes that happens where we go through a trial and we're so tempted to turn away from the Lord or start sinning again. I remember for me, when I would have a bad day or I would get like a bad test, I'd be like, oh God, you don't love me. So I would like sin that's so bad it's literally terrible i would go through trial and be like hey listen like it doesn't look like he cares about me anyway so i'm just gonna start sinning again or you start to drink or smoke or go back to that sin you said you would never do again because all of a sudden when god isn't giving you everything you want when you start going through a trial when you feel abandoned even though he's right there you're like all right if you're gonna do me dirty i'm gonna do you dirty too when it's just hurting you in the end you're not hurting god you make him sad when you sin there's disappointment he's he's grieved but you're not hurting god when you sin while also going through a trial you're just hurting yourself and making yourself weaker which is exactly what satan wants so let's go to job 1 verse 6 and 12 and let's see how satan tries to make job lose his integrity through trial so it says here on one day the angels came to present themselves before the lord and satan also came with them the lord said to satan where have you come from Satan answered, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Then listen to what Satan says, how he tries to trick us to damn God um, and abandon God when we are trialed. He says in verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to, Mo- to Satan, very well, the very well that everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out of the presence of the Lord. So then Satan destroys Job's family, kills his children, but look at Job's response in the trial. Does he damn God? No, he holds his integrity. Even when he loses his family, even when he starts to lose everything, his response is still one that holds God in high honor. So let's go to, again, Job 1, that same chapter. So after Satan has done all of this stuff to Job, look what he says in verse 20 to 22. At this, Job got up and tore his, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Jacob did not, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
I think that's so profound and so humbling because he literally lost his children. He lost his flocks. And then later on, he gets afflicted more and more. He gets boils on his body. And still, he never curses God throughout his trial. And when we recognize that God is with us and walking in step with us in all things, we have a reverence for him that even when we go through things that we don't like and we go through things that we feel are unfair, we understand that there's still a reverence to be held to God. And it's sometimes hard because we want things to always go our way. We never want ourselves to go through trials or tribulations. But once you recognize that sometimes these trials are ways for Satan to try and test you, like you've been on a good streak, you've been doing well, you've gotten close to the Lord, you've been praying to him, you believe in him more than ever, and things are going well. But what happens? What happens to your relationship and your view of God when things don't go well? when you don't get everything you want, when you walk through a trial. And when we realize that when our response is prayer, communion with the Lord and worship, it leaves us going out of a trial even stronger than we started. When we're walking through the trial, we understand it's so important, our response. Because what our response will be is contingent on our relationship with God. Our relationship with God hangs in the balance of what we do and how we respond to a trial. It's really easy to have like a woe is me mentality and be like, why is this happening to me, God? You don't love me anymore. But when you recognize that this trial can sometimes be a make or break situation to try and pull you away from the Lord, you're so much more wise when it comes to how you respond to situations. And you're more like a Job or a Jesus or a Paul or a Silas where when you enter into a trial, the first instinct that you have is to pray and to pray without ceasing throughout the trial. And the beautiful thing about God is he will never give us more than we can bear. So if you're in a trial currently, remember what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation, no trial has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or trialed beyond what you can bear. But when you are trialed, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so you can endure it. That way of escape being prayer, worship, communion with him. Maybe the way of escape is to provide you um, water and a well like he did for Hagar and Ishmael in their trial in the desert. Or maybe it is that he provides you with a way of escape like after the trials of Job. He restores everything to Job. He restores a family back to him, his livestock, his flocks. There's always a way of escape, but if we're not plugged into the Lord, if we don't respond to trials with communion with the Lord and to increase our prayer, then we will be lost forever. And that's the goal of Satan, to find us when we are weak because he's always roaming the earth, looking for someone to kill, steal, destroy from, to destroy their relationship with the Lord, to kill themselves spiritually, to destroy their relationship with God. He's looking for people like that. And when you're in the trials, he knows that you tend to be the weakest. But to remember something so endearing that when you feel lost, like Hagar and Ishmael, hungry, starving, in the desert, feeling like there's no hope, feeling abandoned by everyone around you in the trial, the one who is always with you is God. So invite him into your trials through prayer. Invite him into your trials through worship. Cast those cares on him. He has a plan for you to prosper. Every single one of his children, those who love God, he has a plan to prosper. So a trial is just that. It is only temporary. It only happens from one point of time to another. It is not your forever and it is not your always. So keep that in mind and stay strong. Be strong and courageous in your faith. And I'm praying for you. 
if you go through a trial dm me on instagram g-o-l-d-s-x-m like i pray with people and instagram dms and in the comments and it's just so important to remember that god is with you do not curse god during your trial but hold strong to him when you feel weak run to him and he will be there he's always there for you so i hope that this blessed you and i pray that you enjoyed this I really need to hear this because I was really just preaching to myself, but I hope it blessed someone out there as well. Have an amazing day. God bless you. And I will see you in the next podcast episode. Bye.